time. So tonight we'll be in Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34. This is the third summer that we're doing this, and, and now we're bringing it to a close. Psalm chapter 34, and we'll go through verses uh, 1 through 10 tonight. So Psalm 34, to set the scene a little bit of what's going on in this psalm. This psalm was written by King David, okay? David and Goliath, you follow me? Um, this psalm was written by King David, but David was not king yet. David was supposed to be king, but there's this evil man named Saul who was currently king, and he doesn't want David to be king. So he solves it in the nice, gentlemanly way that the Old Testament does. He tries to kill him. So he is chasing David through the countryside, through the mountains, and while David is on the run, he comes to the temple of this priest, a guy named Abimelech. Okay, You don't have to remember it. It's not going to be a quiz. But he comes to the temple of this guy named Abimelech. And Abimelech doesn't want David to stay there either. So Abimelech doesn't like David. And then King Saul is chasing David as well. And so there's really nowhere else for David to go. But through several different events happening that we won't get into tonight, through God working, David is able to go free. Abimelech lets David go. So David is free to go, but also he leaves without being captured by Saul. So the hand of God delivers David from Saul's hand and Abimelech's hand. And so thankful that God allowed David to get out of there, David writes this psalm of thankfulness and praise. Okay? And that's where all that's kind of the background for where this is coming from in Psalm 34. And leaders, please be on the lookout for students who don't really know where they're going or, or they don't know where. The Psalms are. So Psalm 34, and we're going to do the first 10 verses, okay? So Psalm 34, verses 1 through 2. How many times can I say Psalm 34? Here we go. Verses 1 through 2. I will bless the Lord, and this is David writing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Look at verse 1 one more time. I will bless the Lord at all times. How does that show itself? His praise will continually be on my lips. So David says that he's going to worship the Lord at all times. And, and so when it, when it says, I'm going to worship the Lord at all times... Does that mean that David is just, he's going to stop running, he's just going to bow on his knees and, and, and just hold it, and just always, he's going to always be like that, because that's what worship is, right? Of course that's not what that means, but this is what we ask all the time. People are like, I've had this question before, I used to wonder this, if you're driving in the car and you're praying, should you close your eyes? Because that's worship, right? Well, and that puts people in danger, but yeah, but it's worship, and you're supposed to worship all the time. Well, no. This means, what this means to worship all the time. I will continually worship God. Does that mean like in between school, like in between class periods, you need to tell the lady on the intercom, if we could just play a hill song before, in between class, that would, to worship God at all time, that would be, that would be wonderful. Um, no. This means, when David says, I will continually worship God, it means everything David does, whether it be church-related or not, everything David does is filtered through the lens of God. That's what it means to continually worship. Everything he does is filtered through the lens of God. Think about it. David was on the run from King Saul. So for him, how can he be worshiping God at all times if he's just running? 
He's literally running, hiding, sleeping, eating. That's all he's doing. How can he worship God in all things at all times? Well, it shows us, again, look at the second half of verse 1. His praise will continually be on my lips. The words, and we've talked about this before, the words that come out of your mouth, his praise will continually be on my mouth. The words that come out of your mouth, they don't start in your mouth, right? You follow me? The words that come out of your mouth don't start in your mouth. Where do they begin? They begin in your heart. Whatever comes out of your mouth, and know this, for those of you who maybe this is new, whatever comes out of your mouth begins in your heart. So if your mouth is constantly praising God, then help me out. What else is constantly praising God? Yes, your heart. So if your mouth is constantly praising God, it's because your heart is constantly satisfied in God, content in God, at peace because of God. When you can't stop thinking about, when you can't stop talking about how excited you are about something, and you just cannot stop talking about it, that, just, that doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes from your heart being full of that excitement, and it just pours out of your mouth, Right? Constant speaking comes from constant love. And that's what's happening with David right now. God rescued him from Abimelech and from King Saul. And David's heart is overflowing with thankfulness and gladness. So he's constantly talking about it. And I think this is something that we need to take to heart. Because as Christians, there are so few of us who are really like this. Christians in 2017 America are two things. And I'm not trying to put everybody in this category, but as a general rule right now from what I've seen in my very limited 27-year-old mind, Christians are kind of two things right now. Christians are mad about politics, and Christians are stressed about stuff all the time. Mad about politics, stressed all the time. Let's back up. David was supposed to be king... And he's not king. Not only is he not king, this evil guy Saul is king in his place. And he's trying to kill David. And David is the rightful king. Friend, if anyone deserves to be upset about politics, it's David. Okay? You follow me? David is on the run, hiding in a cave, fearing for his life. If anyone has the right to be stressed about circumstances, it's David. And yet David has joy. Where could this joy possibly come from? Only from God. David says his soul boasts in the Lord. When you've run out of horizontal, the only thing left is vertical. When these horizontal things, the things around you, are not left to comfort you, all you have left is vertical. And then you find out vertical is all you need. Look at verse 2. My soul will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. His soul is boasting in God. His soul is excited about God. His soul says, I look to you. I've got you. You love me. You'll be with me no matter what. And if that's the case, then I'll be okay. And I'm not saying, you know, he says, I'll continually praise God. You're always with me, so I'll be at peace. I'm not saying that Christians are happy all the time. Be a Christian for like 11 minutes, and you'll see like Satan and the world and your own sinful heart will pull you back down. 
Christians are not happy all the time. That's not what David is saying. But Christians are always in love with God. That's what David means here. When David says, I'll praise you always, he's not saying, I'll be happy always. He's saying, I'll be in love with you. You'll fill my heart. And if you're not filling my heart at some point, then I'll take steps to get you back. Because having you is better than anything going on around me. David is saying, life is not going like I planned. Sound familiar? Stress is everywhere around me. But I have you. Life's not going to be like I thought it would be. But God, you are here just like you said it would be. Life is not going like I thought it would be. But God, you are still here just like you said you would be. Christians are not always happy. But Christians are always in love with or trying to stay in love with God. And it fades. It does. And that's okay. That's part of it. But don't just leave it there. When it fades, when you and Jesus are not, are not jiving like you were, don't just leave it there. Take steps to get back in love with God. Listen to Psalm 143, verse 8. Psalm 143, verse 8, the psalmist says this, Let me hear of your unfailing love every morning. Let me hear of your unfailing love every morning. That's the prayer of a Christian. The prayer of a Christian is not, let me do this right. Let me do this better. Let me be better. It's, let me hear from you so that I can do those things. Because all my hope and all the power comes from you. Each morning, what does it say? Each morning, let me hear of your steadfast love. Or another way, the Christian says, each morning, God, tell me again that you love me. I need to hear it before I go to school, or before I go to work, or before I do this difficult thing. Tell me again that you love me. Psalm 143, verse 8. Christians are the ones who need to hear that God loves them. I need your comfort. I need your strength. I need you. Look at verse 3. So that was two verses. Verse 3. David says, Oh, magnify. This is a good one. David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. So he's talking to other people. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. All right. So what's David doing here? Let us exalt his name together. Join with me in the great joy of his salvation. David is inviting other people to the dance. Do me a favor and keep a, keep a finger in Psalm 34 and flip over to Luke chapter 15. This is the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15 and so while some of you guys are turning there, most of you know, but just in case you don't, that's totally okay. The prodigal son is, is the guy, he got a little too big for his britches, and he took his inheritance and ran with it. He took it away from his father, and he decided that what he had done was wrong. And so he came back to his father, and his father welcomed him with open arms, right? But the prodigal son has an older brother, okay? And that's who we're going to meet here. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. 
Luke 15, 25, and then we're going to read 27 and 28. Luke 15, 25. Now his older son, that's the older brother, now his older son was in the field. And when he came home, he approached the house, and he heard music and dancing. Verse 27. And the servant said to him, Your younger brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and was not willing to go in and join. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Okay, the older brother represents the Pharisees. These guys, you don't need to know, but these guys who thought they were supposed to work their way up to God. And the reason we know he represents this is because... Remember, this is just a story. Jesus could make these characters do anything they wanted, but when we first meet the older brother in verse 25, he's working. Of all the things, he's working in the field. These are the Pharisees. And there's singing and dancing going on because the son has returned home. That's salvation. And what does the father do? Help me out. What's the verb? In verse 28, the father goes to the son and what with him? Pleads with, good, Arthur, pleads with him. But pleads, pleads what with him? Come inside and join the dance. And it's important to understand that while Jesus is telling this story, yes, the the sinners are right up in front of him, right? But at this part in the story, when Jesus is talking about the older brother, he's looking up the hill, past the prostitutes and drug dealers and mob bosses, up the hill to the Pharisees. And while he's speaking to the Pharisees in verse 31, Jesus says to the older brother and to the Pharisees, look at 31, and the father said to the older brother, son, you have always been with me and all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. Stop trying to work for your dad and come in and join the dance. Some of you are are new to church, and and you need to understand the good news of this. The invitation to Christianity is ultimately an invitation to join the dance that started between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the beginning. This perfect dance, this perfect union, this perfect joy. To join into that. And this is welling up in David's heart so much that he can't help but talk about it. And he's trying to get others in. And we must do this. Peter in, uh, in Acts, you don't have to turn there, but Peter in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, they tell Peter and his apostle buddies, they say, you have got to stop doing this. You've got to stop telling other people about Jesus. And Peter says, You be the judge of what is right in your eyes. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Does that not sound exactly like David? I can't stop talking about this. He saved me. One of the fruits of being a Christian is, are are you doing this? Are you inviting other people to the dance? And we've talked about this before. Jesus crossed so many... You remember the woman at the well, the woman from Samaria? Jesus crossed so many social boundaries to talk to this woman. 
And the more you look like Him, the more you start to cross social boundaries to talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to, to invite others to the dance that you've been caught up in. Back to Psalm 34. So you're done with the prodigal son. Good job. Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. 4 and 5. David says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him, and they were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. So verse 4, there's the salvation. I needed Him, and He came. He rescued me. He was with me. And then verse 5, those who look upon Him will be radiant. Radiant means to shine. They will become radiant. They will begin to shine. The word in Hebrew it literally means in daylight. Like when the sun is shining. Those who look to Him are radiant like when the sun shines. Jesus says in Matthew 13 that those who belong to Him, Christians, they will shine like the sun. We, If you are a Christian, you will shine like the sun at the end. I don't know what that's like, but it's going to be awesome. And we get a preview of that. We, we do. We get a preview of that when we look to Him today. When we look to Jesus in preaching and reading and singing and acting out our faith. Our hearts fill with the joy of who God is and what God has done for us. Just like David's heart. And when that fills us, we begin to shine. We become radiant. It's a preview of the end. The day when we will Shine like the sun. Down to verse 8. David says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Okay, David says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So again, David is inviting people in. Inviting them to the dance. And I think the fact that he invites them to taste, I think that makes it very clear This is not just an invitation to learn more about God. It's an invitation to experience Him. And learning is a good thing, and that's awesome. But being a Christian is not just that. Remember, it's just like what we talked about at beach camp. You being here, learning these things... It's not just an invitation to learn facts and history. You're not here because your parents brought you. You're not here because this is just what you do on Wednesday nights. It's God calling out to you. Experience me. Dance with me. See that I am good. Experience me. Learn about me. Surround yourself with me. Follow after me and see that I am good. Taste this in your soul. I will bring you a serious joy that you never knew existed. Verse 9. Fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him, there is no want. Alright, there is no want. That just means you will never need anything again. You will never be in want or need for something ever again. You will no longer be in want. Fear the Lord. What is that? That sounds, you know, bad and scary. Fear means in the Old Testament it means to worship, to take seriously. 
David is saying, if you'll do that with God, if you will taste God, you will never again look to anything else and say, I cannot live without this thing. If you will look to God, fear God, worship God, experience Him, take Him seriously, you will never look to anything else in your life and say, I have to have that or I can't do it. You will no longer depend on another boy, another girl, another job, another college acceptance letter. Those things will not define you anymore. In other words, if you take God seriously, your heart will begin to change. Because He'll satisfy your heart like nothing else can. The deepest root of the Christian life, the base. So what's at the bottom, right? What's at the bottom of you? What's the thing that drives everything else that comes out? The deepest root of the Christian life is joy in God. Happiness in God. And again, when I say happiness, it's not always running around high-fiving people. It's not like that. But as, when I say joy, I mean there's a new depth. There is a lock on your heart where the Christian says, I have God, that's all I need. Other things are fine. They're great even. It's okay to have other things. But He is all that I need. Remember what Jesus says to Martha in Luke chapter 10. Remember Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha is running around doing all these good things. But Jesus says only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen it. A little flashback to a younger day here. Uh, Lincoln Park is a band that you guys have probably heard a lot about in the last couple weeks. Uh, Lincoln Park is a band that defined my childhood. Uh, I loved Lincoln Park. Hybrid Theory, which I think is their best album. Um, it's okay if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Hybrid Theory, which I think is their best album, came out in 2000. I was 12, okay? Hybrid Theory came out. This album, listen to this, this album went diamond, which a lot of people don't know. Diamond is when your album goes platinum 10 times. Okay? So Hybrid Theory goes diamond, and Linkin Park is on top of the world and stayed there for a long time. Their lead singer was a guy named Chester Bennington. BBC called Chester the voice of a generation, and he was. He was the voice of my generation. He also toured the world and performed for millions of people. He performed with other artists like Jay-Z in his prime, Rihanna, Adele, and latest statistics show that his personal net worth was just shy of $30 million. $30 million. If he lost $29 million, he'd still have a million dollars. Okay? Two weeks ago, Chester Bennington took his own life, leaving behind six kids and one godson. And people say all the time, and you hear this in the news all the time, and people say, how could this happen? He had all these things. He had the marriage, he had the kids, he had the money, he had the fame, he had people around him, he had all these things. Guys, someday you'll take seriously what Jesus says to Martha and what David says to you. Only one thing is needed. Your soul is so big, my soul is so big, that all the places in the world cannot satisfy it. Because it was built for God. 
That's why when you go to vacation, you come home more tired than you were before you left vacation. Because vacation was not designed to fix you. Touring the world is, not, is awesome, but it's not designed to fix you. Your soul is not built for that. Your soul is built for God. Only one thing is needed. Last thing, and probably the best thing of this little section. Verse 10. The young lions do not lack, and they suffer hunger. I'm sorry, let me back up. The young lions do lack, and they suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Okay, what's the lions here? In David's time, and even in ours today, this is not hard. The lion is a symbol of power and strength, right? Jesus is called, help me out, Jesus is called the what of Judah. Good, the lion. That, that kind of teed that one up there for you. The lion of Judah. Lions could have anything, and especially in David's day, right? Lions could have anything they wanted, any time they wanted. And David says here that they suffer hunger, starvation. This is unthinkable, that a lion who could eat anything they wanted at any time would, would ever suffer starvation. The unthinkable is happening. Now, come with me here. And while lions are suffering hunger and starvation, the followers of God, what? Those who trust in the Lord will, they will not want for anything. They will lack nothing. Lions lacking something is unthinkable. And yet, in a devastating time, when even lions are suffering and starving, God's followers are still okay? Even in the unthinkable. God is saying, look at me, God is saying, even when the unthinkable happens, I'll still be there. Lions Starving is unthinkable, and yet my people are okay. Because even in the unthinkable, I will still be there. You'll be okay with me. When the unthinkable happens, when, you, when everything around you begins to give out, when the floor underneath you begins to give out, you'll be safe in my arms, just as safe as if you were in the strongest fortress in the world. Long time ago, we talked about this. Isaiah 49, verse 15, God says this to Israel. Can a mother forget? Can a mother forget the baby she feeds and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. A mother forgetting her child, refusing to love her child, was unthinkable. And God is saying again, even when the unthinkable happens, I will not forget you. The unthinkable, the unfathomable in your life. You can't even imagine it happening. A lion going hungry. A mother hating her child. The unthinkable phone call. The unthinkable diagnosis. The unthinkable reaction from your parents or from your friends. God is saying, none of that can keep me from you. And you say, I wish that God would tell me that He loved me. He did. And He still is. But He doesn't just tell you, He shows you. Thousands of years later in John chapter 3, verse 16, help me out with the verb here, it tells us that God so loved the world that He what? 
that he gave for us. Now listen, for those of you who have unthinkable things on the horizon or or you're in the unthinkable now, unthinkable things have no power over you because God gave the unthinkable for you. His Son, a part of Himself. The cross of Jesus was God's way of saying, I have always loved you. And now that I have given the ultimate sacrifice for you, now that I have given the unthinkable for you, unthinkable things have lost their power over you. They were destroyed on the cross with my son, and my son rose and they didn't. Now in Him, in Him, you can walk the unthinkable road through hard circumstances. And Christ will be with you. God gave His own Son so that every event in your life, whatever it is, in the times in your life where not even lions can eat, it's so desperate, you will be satisfied because God will be with you. Whatever it is, nothing can separate Him from you. His love defeated every unthinkable event and won your heart on the cross. This is the God of Psalm 34. Let's pray together. 